Kitin Daflamid Daladamid Aleph, articulation to communicate or to clarify Gilidat Beget. We have the sugya here of Gilidat Beget when a person reveals his intention in a particular circumstance, which we'll talk about. Uh, and we get into the idea of how crucial it is to communicate our thoughts to others because people can't know what's in our head. If we don't communicate clearly, people can't respond to us. On the other hand, there's another dimension to communication, which is to clarify our thoughts to ourselves. Uh, we, some, we sometimes need to communicate for, the, for our own clarity. And we'll see how that works in the, in the sugi and how we, uh, how we apply it in life. And in this sugya, the, uh, the, the two classical mafoshim that everybody quotes on the sugya is the Tosfus Rid and the Chassam Sofer. And what I want to, you to appreciate here, because it's a good example of it, although we have it in every single sugya, uh, often when people quote them, you know, they quote the Gemara and the Tosfus Rid and the, and the Chassam Sofer and then this one and that one, you kind of get a, a plethora of, of mafoshim on, on a sugya without understanding the hierarchy, without understanding... The Tosfus Reed is from the 13th century. He heads the whole Italian school of Tosfus. He himself learns in Germany, so he's part of, of the Ashkenaz school of Tosfus. Uh, he's a, a close friend of the Or Zarua of the same period of time. The Tosfus Reed, the, the Maram Rutenberg refers to the Tosfus Reed in the category of Rabbeinu Gershom, the Reef, and the Rambam. So you're talking with the Tosfus Reed, you're talking about this as Rabbi Shayu Detrani. You're talking about a giant in, in Torah thought. 500 years later, we've got the Chassam Sofer. So you don't, you don't put them on the same shelf. You don't put them on this as great as the Chassam Sofer is. The Chassam Sofer, one of the great uh, lamdonim of his and poskim of his generation. And, and what a generation that was. We're talking about uh, 18th century, end of the 18th century. So look who there was at that time. Uh, and and, never, and the Chassam Sofer is great in that time. So the Chassam Sofer is enormously great. But next to the Tosfus Reed, there's no, this is 500 years later. It's like the difference between the Shulchan Aruch and us. That's the, the time period. And to understand that you know, when you bring the Chassam Sofer, it's not like you bring the Tosfus Reed and you bring the Chassam Sofer and then you bring this one and that one from modern times. The later generations unravel the earlier ones. The Tosfus Reed unpeels the Sugya. The Chassam Sofer Peels the the Tosfus read. Each generation takes a peel of, just goes a little, makes it a little clearer, expands it, uh, gives us a sense of what they mean because we can't always understand what the early Rishonim mean because they write so compactly. So we need the Acharonim in order to understand the Rishonim, and one one shouldn't learn the Acharonim independently. You learn the Acharon as a perush on the Rishon. Uh, and the Rishon is explaining the Gemara. That's, that's the root. That's why the Vilna Gaon is so careful in Shulchan Aruch to track everything back to the Rishonim and the Gemara uh, because that's the way you learn. It's not a collection of sources which has become the fashion today. You have a, piece, a, a source sheet and it's this one, this one, this one, this one, and all these different people and then you go through them and now you've seen everything that is on the sugya. Without understanding what the relationship is between the one to the other and how they, how they work with one another. So here's the Gemara that we've got. These are cases. The first case is Gidul Bar-Eli Shadr La-Gitilid This is a famous story of Gidul Bar-Eli. And he sends a get to his wife. Azal Shlicha Ashkechad Dahaviyat Vevenavri. The Shliach comes to the wife and, and he sees that she's busy with her business. She's busy weaving. 
Omala, he says to Hagitech, I've brought you a get. I'm busy at the moment. Go home and come back and see me tomorrow. Make an appointment the way everybody else does. And I've got time in my calendar tomorrow. You can come and see me tomorrow with a get. As a legabe, he went back to Gidul Barilai and he told him, you know, your wife's a busy woman, not so simple. Vamale told him, Potach Vama Sarav. He said, Gidul Barilai's response was, Boruch Hashem. That that's what happened. That's the story. Abaya says that doesn't mean he's cancelling the get. The question now is, you remember we learned when a person cancels a get, is the get useless or is the get still usable another time? What is, does he just cancel the shlichut? And he said, okay, so this time you're not going to deliver it to my wife, but the get is still a get. Maybe in a week's time I'll change my mind and then we can use the same get. Says Abaya, doesn't mean the get is bottle. He might just be saying, Thank God, it gives me another day to think about it. But I'm not cancelling the get yet. Tomorrow we'll deliver the same get tomorrow. He's expressed his relief that, he, that the shlichus was not successful. And my wife hasn't yet got the get. Clearly he's saying, because I've changed my mind in the meantime, and I'm really relieved that the get wasn't delivered. So what are they really arguing about? They're arguing about gilui dat in, in get. Gilui dat means revealing intention. Revealing intention in a non-verbal way. What, is that? what does that mean? When it comes to gitin, revealing your thoughts in a non-verbal way doesn't count. It has to be articulated in words, says Abaya. Rava says, no, even in Gitin, if it's clear what your intention is, what's the purpose of communication? The purpose of communication is to reveal your intention. If you've revealed your intention in a non-verbal way, who cares? We know what your intention is. And that's, and that's fine, says Rava. Now, remember, we've learned the Machlokes Abayev Rava, the two, two worldviews, so we must try and, and put this into those worldviews. Abayev looking at the world philosophically and mystically, not only practically, and Rava looking at the world in a very three-dimensional, quantitative, halachic way. Uh, so let's see if we can un- understand it that way as well. So what is their machlok? It says this Tosvus read, I'll explain to you who the Tosvus read is. The dvorim shebeleiv einan dvorim, says Abaye. Throughout Shas we know that, that you can't refer to your inner thoughts as an explanation. In other words, expect people to know what your inner thoughts are. They're irrelevant in transaction. They're, your inner thoughts are irrelevant in the way you engage with the world. The world is entitled to know what you think. And you can't tell the world, uh, but I was thinking such and such. Who cares what you were thinking? That's not what you said. That's Abaya's view. Therefore, it's just a thought, and we can't work with thoughts in halacha. Yes, you're right, says Robert. In the whole of Shaz Dvarim Shibalev, inner thoughts are not considered communication. But if you did something that revealed your inner thought, that's communication. There's nothing special about speech. Speech is one of the ways you communicate your inner thought. But there's also other things. There's body language. As the Ran says in, in a Chuva in Simen Men Gimel, a nod of the head. Is also that means yes, you don't have to actually say yes. If everybody sees you nod your head, you've you've agreed. So there are there is nonverbal communication. The run regards writing as nonverbal communication. 
Uh, you're not actually saying saying it out, saying it out, and and so if you if non-verbal communication is a valid form of communication because I get through your non-verbal communication what your intention is, then that's that's valid communication. Says Rava. It's as if he spoke. Communication means revealing your intention. That's what Dibur means. Dibur is one of the ways to reveal your intention. But any way that you reveal your intention is sufficient, even in a matter as serious as Gittin. The, the Chassam Sofer, what does this, this wonderful Chassam Sofer say? The Chassam Sofer starts off by saying, you know, Rav is right. Logically, Rav is right. Purpose of communication is to tell people what you're thinking. If I know what you're thinking from the circumstance, you, I say the get wasn't delivered, you say, Baruch Hashem. You're clearly saying you don't want the get to be delivered. That's you're clearly your intention. That, so, so, so Rav is right. The, 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 the way that Rav works is right. Pat says the Chassam Sofer. Read one of the further pieces of the Gemara, another case. There's some very colorful cases on this, on this stuff. What's the next case? Omar I'll tell you where I get it from. That it doesn't, that nonverbal communication is not sufficient. Rabbi Yehuda forced the son-in-law of Rabbi Yirmiya Biro to give a get. He used whatever pressure he could to get this <coughs> person, the son-in-law of Rabbi Yirmiya Biro, to agree and say, okay, I'm willing to give her a get, and he gave it a get. And no sooner had he written the get, Uvitle, he, he, he cancelled the get. So kind of tricked him. Tana Ashkele, he did it again. Uvatle, and once again he cancelled it. Hada Tana Ashkele al Korche, once again he forced him to give a get. And this time Rav Yehuda said to the witnesses, Put an earplug in your ears so that when he cancels it, you won't hear him. That's interesting. That means everybody else can hear him say, I'm cancelling, I'm cancelling, I'm cancelling. But the Adim or the Shlichim, they, they don't hear. And therefore it's not counted as communication. Says Abaye, if you hold that as long as I can see your intention, even if it's non-verbal, that's valid communication. What does it help blocking their ears? They can see this man gesticulating and running after them and shaking his finger. Clearly they realize he wants to pull the get back, but they can't hear him say it. So you see, it's got to be said by words. The the, the a receiver must actually hear the words. You don't have to figure out what his intention is. Says Rove, you would be right normally, but sorry, sorry, says Rove, um, Rova says it's not clear from the fact that he's gesticulating and he's running after you. Maybe he's saying, get on with it, move faster. I want to get this done with. It's, it's so aggravating for me. This divorce is so painful. Just get it done. Hurry up, rush. Maybe that's what he means. If you don't hear what he's saying, who knows what he, what, what he means. So says Rova, where his gesticulations are ambiguous, I agree that we can't follow them. But in cases where it's quite clear what he means, such as when he says, Baruch Hashem, when the get wasn't delivered, I can go by the context and I can interpret the intention. I don't have to hear the words. Says the Chassam Sofer, once we've got this principle of Rova, 
that where there's ambiguity, you have to hear the words. You can't interpret in a way that leaves ambiguity. Says the Chassam Sefer, what case of Gilead Da'at is not ambiguous? Where do you have a case of somebody who does a non-verbal communication or communicates indirectly and it isn't possible to interpret it some different way? Even with words, sometimes you, it's ambiguous and then we decide how to interpret it. But at least with words, there's, there's a method of interpretation. When a person's using non-verbal cues in order to communicate, it's not very clear what his intention is. And there's always a possibility of ambiguity. And therefore, says the Chassam Sefer, logic is with Abaya. Although initially we thought logic was with Rova, that as long as the receiver can figure out what the, what the communicator is saying or intending, that's considered a valid communication. But once we've learned Rova's principle, where there's ambiguity, it doesn't work. Now there's always ambiguity. There's always place for ambiguity in nonverbal communication. And the play Yeshua says something similar in Kiddushin where he says, so Even sometimes for Dibur it's not sufficient because you don't know for sure that what he's speaking is, is the intention of his heart, how much more so when he doesn't actually speak. And therefore the Gemara Paskins, The halacha is like Nachmeni, like Abaya. And there's just some nice historic information in, in Rashi, and some Sefer also brings the Sefer Ayuchsin, where Rashi explains why his name was Nachmeni, Abaya is, is Nachmeni. And he, and he says there, he tells us the story, this is one of the cases where the haloch is like Abaya, there are only a few cases where we pass like Abaya. Um, and Rabba's father's name was Nachmeni, and he adopted Abaya. And, so, and he taught him Torah, and so he gave him his father's name, he, he, he gave his adopted son, Abaya, the name of his father, which was Nachmeni. The Chassam Sefer brings the Sefer Ayus and he says, no, he couldn't call him Nachmeni because his father was still alive. That's why he called him Abaya. And Abaya comes from Aviz. He's, he's got the name of my father. And Abaya says, the Sefer Ayus is Roshe Tevis, Asher Bechai Yerucham Yatom. May the, may, um, through you, may uh, orphans be, find mercy in the, in the eyes of Hashem. That's Abaya, that's what Abaya means. Um, and, and it's because he couldn't call him Nachmeni. But when the Gemara says, it means the Alocha is like Abaya. That's how we pass in, in this particular case. So, so what, what do we see from, from all of this is that the whole issue is when, what is the role of communication in a situation of get where the third order consequence is so severe? Because if we're going to misinterpret his intention, he writes a get, he sends the get. He then cancels the get. Is the cancellation valid or not? And if we make a mistake in that, this woman could get remarried and she's, meanwhile she's still married to the first husband. That's a terrible thing. The third order consequences are incredibly severe. Says Abaya, you can't afford any situation where there's a possibility of ambiguity because the purpose of, of, of speaking it out is to clarify, not only to others, it's also to clarify to yourself. Because the get contains the intention of the writer. We've been learning that since the beginning of Gittin. We, we wrap the tangible and the intangible together in the get. The tangible is this artifact, the get. It's a physical thing. The intangible is all the thoughts and emotions and intentions of the husband. It must be written lishma. And that's what lishma means, as, as we've learned in the in Masechta so far. Now he wants to pull it out. 
And we learned in, in Tosfos a few days ago that what he does is he pulls out the lishma aspect. He says, I no longer have intention. So this is just an empty piece of paper. But we've got to be sure that that's what he's actually doing and there's ambiguity involved. Who knows whether he's even sure what his intention is. Until you articulate it in a clear way, you can't relate to the intention because ambiguity is there. Says Rav, no, as long as, the, as long as the listener can figure out what he, what he thinks you mean, that's sufficient, that's a communication. And so with communication, both are very important. The first thing is when you communicate, it's important, as Rava says, what's important is how has it been heard, not whether you've said it or not. Sometimes you'll hear a person say, a husband will say it, a wife will say it, a manager in a business will say it. I've told them a hundred times. doesn't help if you've told them a hundred times. Did they hear it once? If they haven't heard it, you haven't communicated. You've always got to check that the person heard what you said and how you intended it. Because until the person has heard it, it, the communication hasn't taken place. Can't say, I've told you, I've told you. How many times do I have to tell you? You only have to tell me once if I hear it. But you've told him in such a way that I blocked my mind. I couldn't hear it. You were angry. You were, you were offensive. I didn't even listen to you. There are reasons why we don't hear things. So always check that the other person has heard. As Rover says, what's important is the other person gets the message. But Abaya says in certain cases where your thoughts are really important, it's not sufficient that the other person gets the message indirectly. What's important is, do you get the message? Are you sure what you really think? And sometimes you're not sure what you really think until you either talk it out or write it down, which is one of the reasons we said the other day, the importance of writing down one's chidushim, one's learning Torah, because until you write it down or you speak it out, there isn't, there isn't the same clarity. There's the famous story of Reb Chaim who was teaching and somebody listened at the door and thought that he was teaching a child and he went inside the door and there Reb Chaim was, was alone. There was no child and he said to Reb Chaim, where's the child? And Reb Chaim said, ich bin the kind, I'm the child. That's how I learn. I teach myself as if I were a child. That way I can clarify my thinking. You've got to talk it out. You've got to teach yourself or teach somebody else or write it out until you've really clearly articulated an idea. You don't even have it clearly. Never mind somebody else who can't possibly have it clearly. And so in communication, always consider these two dimensions. Has the other person been able to accept, to hear the communication and understand it? And am I very clear? Have I articulated in such a way that I've clarified my own thinking in a way that's very clear? 